This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. So open up your Bibles to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is uh, a very well-known passage talking about what a true fast is. But I'm thinking it a little bit deeper than that, than that, not just talking about what a true fast is, but really what is true religion. Our church is going through a 40-day fast that's not uh, bending God's arm because of your spiritual hunger strike, saying, God, these are really important, so God, listen to me now. That's not what uh, spiritual Christian fasting is. It's really about mourning Uh, the lack of God's presence here on this earth in our lives, that we want his kingdom to come. And so often as uh, for many of us, we've we've lost somebody, we've gone gone through a season of mourning. Uh, It's in that that our appetite dies a little bit, right? Because you're you're overcome by grief. That's that's the idea of fasting. You're overcome by grief. You want more of God. And so it's really... um, hits home here in this passage where these Israelites were using uh, this discipline of fasting to bend God's arm. And so even for you, as you are fasting in this season, hopefully that God will continue to reveal to you ways in which your Christianity is simply a religion or simply religiosity or a set of duties, but it's so much more. And I know that's our heart that it's not a mediocre Christianity that we are entertained by, that we simply are busy with. It's not simply a stale Jesus we're trying to hype ourselves up for. That is not what it's about. It's about you encountering God and being changed. Every worship gathering, every time you open up the word, every time you pray, not simply going through the ritual as so many and so many generations have done. And so we're talking about true religion and it's initially the problem of religion. Ask your neighbor, what's the problem with religion? What's the problem, problem with religion? Many, many. <clears throat> but the issue for the Israelites was so deep and so massive that when God is ready to indict these Israelites, basically, they will, they're about to be served. It's like when you, when you get sued, you get served by a lawyer with, piece of, with, with paperwork about what, what, what you've done wrong. This is the idea. So in verse 1 of Isaiah 58, it says, Cry aloud. Don't hold back, right? Do not hold back. Cry aloud. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression. Declare. Not whisper, but declare to the house of Jacob their sins. Saying Israel, saying uh, Isaiah to Isaiah, don't hold back. These people are blind; they're not listening. So speak loudly when you address them. And as you uh, read the rest, some of you will be shocked. For the Israelites were shocked because initially. What you would think that they're being indicted for is maybe a lack of love for the Lord, maybe a lack of discipline, maybe not following the rules, maybe being involved in some sort of sin. And you would think that's what God's angry with with me, right? I don't read my Bible enough and 
those kinds of things. And what you'll be surprised by is what God is bothered by. This is the first problem in verse 2. It starts off with a, with a negative. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. And we, we have to pause here. Because you read it right. I read it right. It's not that they don't seek me daily. It's not that they don't delight to know my ways. They are seeking the Lord daily. They were, uh, they were going to worship gatherings together regularly. They're, they delight to know God's ways. In the NIV, it translated as it's, they seem eager. But in the Hebrew, it's actually very clear. They delight to know God and his ways. So the question really ends up being, what is wrong with these people? They're probably in many ways more quote-unquote godly than we are. So what's the issue? They seek me daily, delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness. And that's when you start to see the problem. They seek me, they delight in me, but they don't obey. They did not forsake the judgment of their gods, as if they obeyed, right? That's the first indictment that God has against his people. You seek me, but you don't obey me. You seek me, but you don't obey me. This should hit home. For you, there should be a sense, if you're really listening and if you're humble, really asking, that sounds a lot like me. Going to church, opening up the word, listening to worship songs, enjoying the Lord, but not listening. There's those things that God calls you to do, but you don't listen. They ask even, they're praying, right? They ask of me righteous judgments, right? They delight to draw near to God. I mean, they seem to be a, a perfect church group. Verse 3, why, why have we fasted and you see it not? This is what they're saying, the people of God. They're fasting and they're asking, God, how come you don't see our fasting? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? They're fasting, they're praying, but God is not answering their prayer. So they're asking, God, where are you? Why aren't you acknowledging my prayer? Why aren't you responding? And is, not, is that not a prayer that we have prayed? God, I'm praying. God, I'm fasting. God, I'm devoted to you. God, where are you in my life? This strikes too close to home, too close for comfort. And this is the core of it all at the end of verse 3. Behold, right, this is it. Behold, this is the message. Do you guys get it? Behold, listen up. In the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. And that is what they are guilty of. They go to God, they worship the Lord, they even enjoy his presence, all for their gain, all for their pleasure. That is the problem. They are disciplined in seeking God. They are delighting in knowing his ways. They are enjoy enjoying getting near to God. Why? So, so that they can use God so that they can pray to God and say, say, God, now that we've done this, now please answer these prayers. And the biggest key of it all 
is right after they seek their own pleasure, as it says, they oppress all their workers. They're so busy seeking God, so busy praying to God for their will, for their desires, that they miss God. They don't hear Him, they don't encounter Him, and their prayers are more so of God, my will be done, not God, your will be done. That is the picture. They're so busy being disciplined, delighting, enjoying to use God. And this is the clearest evidence in your life that you seek God for selfish gain. The clearest evidence in your life that you seek God for selfish gain is an unchanged life. It's an unchanged life. They seek God for their own pleasure, but yet they continue to oppress the people. For it was the people that were probably giving them what they wanted. More work in the harvest, right? Some sort of financial gain. Maybe some sort of reputation that they can seek. And that's false religion. It's not true religion. It's false religion. False religion is seeking God for selfish gain. And the clearest example of that is an unchanged life. So the question has to be asked, is your Christianity genuine? That you're not seeking God for your gain. That your prayers aren't comprised 100% of God do this for me, God do that for me, God I'll, I'll, I'll go to you when it's convenient for me. For how many of us are, are our lives changing? If you live your life hurried and distracted, if most of your prayers about me and, and, and what I want, and you see a lack of fruit in your life, a lack of change in your life, it has all the signs, listen to me carefully, it has all the signs of a false religion. I'm not saying that you're not saved. You might be, but you're so busy being religious and you're so busy doing these things that you miss the Lord. It is a false religion. This is the problem of religion. The problem with the religion is our hearts. They seek God for selfish gain and it, it, it leaves them unchanged to love others. Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord said, because the people draw near, uh, draw near with their mouth, honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, there's nothing wrong, wrong with Christianity. There's nothing wrong with how God set it up. What's wrong is our hearts. And that is why if you live your Christian life with an, with an undevoted heart, if you simply are so busy trying to get, get those, get those uh, rules and, and, and checkboxes checked off, if that is it, you are missing the Lord and you are involved in a false Christianity, a false religion. True religion is very different, which is the purpose of religion. So jumping forward to verse 5, it shows us the purpose of true religion. This is the goal. This is the key. This is how you can tell you have encountered God. Verse 5, is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Right, is this what God wants for you to join us in, in one day of fast and say, good job, right? Is that Christianity? Is it to bow down his head like a reed, to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? 
Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is that all that God wants for us to be, in one sense, devoted in that ritualistic way to Him? Will He be like, oh, that's my people, look how, look how devoted they are to me. It's very clear, it goes on. No, verse 6, is not this the fast that I choose? And as we read, ask yourself, is this you? To lose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless uh, poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? God is saying, is that not the true fast that I ask for? That when you fast, you abstain from food, and you, and, you, and you genuinely encountered the Lord, in that moment your heart is changed, and now you are fasting in terms of life, how you live. You're not now living for yourself anymore. You're fasting in one sense from yourself, and now you're giving because you've encountered God in your fast. As you encounter God in your fast, as you encounter God in your prayer, you're now changed. And now you live. Now you serve. And now you give. Because God is saying, if the church simply comes to worship me, and that's it, and they don't love their neighbor, you have missed it. You've completely missed it. Imagine that. You give like 40% of your of your finances to the Lord, right? But not one, one, one ounce of it, one, one dollar of it, one, one of it, right? None of it goes to the poor. God would say, no, that's wrong. Yes, give to the church, but care for the poor. And throughout scripture, it's clear. Even the law for the Israelites, when they left Egypt, as they would, as they would uh, harvest uh, their fields, they would leave a portion of it for the sojourner. God was always mindful of the marginalized, the oppressed, always. See, true religion is this, truly loving the Lord that leads to truly uh, loving your neighbor. That's true religion. You love the Lord. You come here. Yes, you're excited to fellowship, excited to worship, excited to hear the word. But really, you're coming here, the corporate gathering of God's people, so you encounter the Lord. He speaks to you, sometimes a word of encouragement to strengthen you, sometimes, like today, maybe a word of rebuke or correction to wake you up. And all you want is not necessarily your will to be done. Yes, you have prayers and desires that you pray, and those are good and okay, but so much of your prayers, God, your will be done. God, your will be done. God, your will be done in my heart, in this church here in Korea. That is your heart. And you see, for these people, they were shocked. They thought they were doing fine. But this is how uh, blind that they were, that even, it, it even led to the exile. See, it wasn't the minor sin, the main sin that people of God are continually uh, indicted of a lack of devotion to the Lord, but really a lack of devotion to the Lord that clearly was evident in their lack of love for each other. They would, have, uh, they would use um, 
different kinds of weights, if they would measure agricultural goods for trade, always for selfish gain, always for me, just to cut the corner so for a little bit more financial gain. And it wasn't to help the widow, the orphan, the, the marginalized. This is the idea. Zechariah 5, 7, same idea. You fast and you mourn, but you do it for yourself, it says. Render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. That's what God wants, for you to show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the wid widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the, or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against an another in your heart. Why does this all happen? This is the problem with religion, what we just said. They have refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of, of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. The problem is our hearts. We all know what to do. The question is, do you do it? That's true religion. Care for the needy, the poor, the oppressed, and marginalized. Your prayer is not necessarily, God, my will be done, but you pray over and over, just like Christ, your will be done. I will drink the cup. I don't want to drink it, but I will drink the cup. This is so important if you think about it. Justice in the world, is it not? Every time you turn on, turn on the news, is it not injustice that, that enrages you? When you think of certain leaders, is it not unjust leadership, improper leadership that bothers you? Gary Haugen, director of International Justice Mission, makes this connection about how important justice is. Because for most of us who grew up in a first world country, when there was any danger, we would just call 911, or here in Korea, 119. Right? So in any place, in any danger, right? in Korea, chances are it's pretty rare that you're going to come across any danger here in Korea. Right? You're not going to walk down the street, someone's going to jump. But if you did, all you have to do is call 119 and report it, and soon afterwards there will be law enforcement there to help you. So the question then is, if there's no justice, if the people of God are not caring for justice and mercy, what does that look like? In Oregon, there was a woman who called 911 as some man was trying to break into her home. About two weeks prior, uh, this man had assaulted her. And so she calls 911. But what you'll be shocked by is that because of budget cuts, they couldn't send law enforcement to her. And so listen to this call as, uh, as uh, Gary Haugen so clearly helps us understand the importance and the role of justice. Listen. I don't have anybody to send out there. Okay. Uh, you know, obviously if he comes inside the residence and assaults you, can you ask him to go away or do you know if he's intoxicated or anything? I I've already asked him, I've already told him I was calling you, he's spoken before, but he's down the door, assaulted me. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so. Is there any way you can safely leave the residence? No, I can't. Because he's locked pretty much my only way out. Well, the only thing I can do is give you some advice and call the sheriff's office tomorrow. Um, obviously, if he comes in and unfortunately has a weapon or is trying to cause you physical harm, that's a different story. I, you know, the sheriff's office doesn't work up there. I don't have anybody to send. Imagine if you were her. When you call for help and no one answers, 
and the only response that you get, the sheriff's office doesn't work up there, I don't have anyone to send because of budget cuts. Tragically, this woman was assaulted, choked, and raped. And for us, maybe for the first time you understand how important law enforcement is. Just those three numbers, right? 911119. There's justice at your fingertips. This is what religion is about. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That he changes your heart. He encounters you so much so that you love your neighbor. You're generous with your neighbor. And so it leads to the last point, redemption of religion. How is this possible? How can then, if the problem is not religion, if the problem is our hearts, then how can we have a religion, a Christianity that is beautiful? How is it redeemed? Three times from verses 6 to 14, there's this condition of if you dot, dot, dot. In verse 6, if you fast, Verse 7, if you share your bread, then, in verse 8, then your light, then shall your light break forth like the dawn. Right? It, it, if the religion is finally acting as it's supposed to. It's a light now shining, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your guard, your rear guard. The idea is as we, the church, loves our neighbor, as we do this, as we then move forward by our righteous deeds, what's always left behind us is the glory of God. It's the light that shines and breaks forth as the church together corporately loves. And that's the image every time. It's, it's, this, it's this beautiful aspect of religion that we should all long for, that we want this in our hearts and in our lives. Right, in verse 9, this is the picture of what prayer looks like as you live like this. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he, shall, and he will say, here I am. Before when they would pray, they would say, God, where are you? The idea is as you learn to live in this way, you now sense God's presence, that he is there with you. There is, there is a unity between what you confess and how you live. And as you do so, his presence is there. It's God saying, here I am. It continues on in verses uh, 10 and 11 the same way. If you take away the yoke, if you pour yourself out for the hunger, if you continue to do these things, what does it say in verse 11? The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desires. It is when you're, not just your prayer, but your heart has changed where you no longer simply pray, God, my will be done, but your heart has been changed. And now you say, God, your will be done. God, your will be done. Let that be my heart and my life. God's calling us. <laughs> Wake up, church. Right? Verse 12, it's the idea of Israel then being restored from the exile. This was their problem. Shortly after college, um, I was sharing with a coworker. I was working at a telecom company, and uh, I was sharing my faith with him. He was a pretty good friend, and he said this. He said, "You know, I don't. I'm not a fan of religion." I was like, "What is? What is that?" This is like 15 years ago, right? I'm not a fan of religion. I think religion causes more problems than good. And I was like, "Huh?" 
and he shared with me his thoughts about you know past wars that were caused by religion. I was like, huh, good point. And you know, it started to get, get me to think about the problem with religion. And there is a lot of problem with religion, right? I think we can think of different incidences where re religion was the cause of many, many deaths, many, many wars. But the problem is not religion. And you have to understand that. The problem is not Christianity. The problem is our hearts. So when Isaiah paints this picture of if you can then finally repent, finally encounter the Lord, and finally love your neighbor. If you can do this, this is the light that shines out of your faith, out of your church. Isn't that what you want? Do we all say yes? That's what we want. That's what we want to be a part of. But then the question remains, but our hearts are the problem. Where is the hope? And the hope is in Christ. For in Luke 4, when Jesus begins his public ministry, Echoing the words of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to what? Proclaim good news to the poor. To, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is on a spiritual level where we understand that we were yoked we were enslaved. We were captives spiritually. We were spiritually blind. We were spiritually oppressed. We couldn't help but to sin. We couldn't help but to be selfish, only praying prayers, God, my will be done, not yours. And so Christ comes so that now we would be set free from our own hearts, so that now that we are set free from our own hearts, we can now go out and proclaim liberty, set the captives free, on a spiritual level and a, a physical level. It's both and. It's not one or the other. Christ died to atone for our sins and to redeem it, but that redeeming, encountering God, leads to loving your neighbor. So much so that God identifies himself with the marginalized and the poor and the orphan, the weak in the Old Testament, but not only does he identify with it in the New Testament, he becomes the poor. That Jesus was born to a poor family. His first bed was a feeding trough, a manger. When Mary and Joseph dedicated Jesus uh, at the temple, but you know what they offered for their sacrifice? Two pigeons. It was the offering for, the, for those who are poor. That's the life that he's coming from. He says, foxes have holes, birds have the air and the nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is Christ. He becomes poor so that you, you can become rich. And church, you are rich. You are rich in Christ. You are rich and blessed. You are rich and you can now therefore be generous. That is who you are. God has fixed a problem within our hearts as you understand the gospel, as you understand his love for you, may that now transform you. May your church going not be ritualistic. Every time you come, open up your heart, slow it down, encounter him, and week by week, day by day, your heart changes where you can therefore then love one another.
I'm going to pray, and I'm going to, I'm going to pray through these topics now. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.